so if you have your, your Bible, you can turn to the, the book of Luke, chapter 7. We're at the, the tail end of Luke. And uh, this has been a, a chapter that has dealt, as, as really all of Luke does, with the identity of, of Jesus. And so we've seen <clears throat> Jesus is the one who has authority over sickness, over death, over doubt. And, and last week, uh, we, we, we talked about just the response that people had to the ministry of John the Baptist. And, and Jesus was emphasizing that, that, the, that people were having you know, two different responses, um, that, that some heard the ministry of John the Baptist, and they repented, and they trusted, um, and, and therefore they were actually receptive to the ministry of Jesus as well, but then others, no matter what they heard, they were they weren't going to respond, and so they they refused to repent, refused to trust, refused to undergo the baptism uh, of John, and it says that they actually uh, missed the purposes of God for themselves, uh, which is you know very sobering thing to to think about, and and so then as we move into our, our passage today we're really then confronted with this, this same idea of what is our response going to be to Jesus? Are we going to respond in, in repentance and faith or hardness of heart and, and pride? And, and so Luke gives us the, the story of these, the, this man and this woman who respond very differently to, to Jesus. So again, this is uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, and I'll begin reading in verse 36, and um, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on page 864 in the, the Pew Bible near you. So this is God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, 
for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the the power of faith to save, to heal, to renew. We pray that you would give us faith as we read and study, that you would renew faith, that you would maybe even work faith for for the first time, Lord, that we could know the forgiveness you provide and and love you more in turn. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in this, this passage, you see Jesus telling this parable about two debtors that are forgiven. And, and you know, it got me thinking a little bit about just debt in America in general. And, and so I, I looked up some uh, statistics on it. And uh, 40% of Americans spend about half of their income paying off debt. Um, an average debt for American is about 37000 um, not including their mortgage payment. Uh, and it says that, that one in 10 Mer- Americans have a debt of about $100,000. So you know, we're, we're a, a, a country that has a, a lot of, of debt. And this is probably the reason that, that people are always trying to, to figure out ways to have their, their debts forgiven in different ways, you know, whether it's some sort of commercial for refinancing a loan or debt forgiveness and even if you go and just google debt forgiveness tons of things come up of well, how you get it well is it really all that it cracks up to be um, and there's so much about it because we want to know you know is there a way out of this enormous debt that we face but according to scripture there there's another kind of debt that we have and it's actually a debt toward god through our sin and, and that, I think that if we're, we're thinking about that, then it's the same question of, of how, do we, how do we get out of this? Do we work it off? Do we seek some sort of debt forgiveness? What do we do? And our, our passage today that you heard me read is really about forgiveness. It's about debt forgiveness, but, but not of you know, monetary debt, but, but debt to God. And you see Jesus you're telling this parable of the two debtors, and then he applies it to this woman who is described um, as a, a sinful woman who had come to him. And at the very end, Jesus says, your, your sins are forgiven, that, that she receives the, the forgiveness of sins, this complete pardon. And so really what it, what it does for us is, is it, it shows us what forgiveness is, it opens up this possibility of hope of the forgiveness that we can experience. And so today as we walk through this passage, we're going to just look at it um, in three sections. And so first we're going to look at our need for forgiveness, and then second, the way of forgiveness, and then finally our response to forgiveness. So our need for forgiveness, the way of forgiveness and then our response to forgiveness. And so let, let's start with that, the first section, that our, our need for forgiveness. 
And, and right off the bat, as we, we look at this passage, uh, we see that this man who, who maybe is not very aware of his need for forgiveness, and we, we learn some certain key facts about him. So we see that his, his name is Simon, and you know, he's not to be confused with Simon Peter, or there's also in the book of Mark, chapter 14, Simon the leper, um, not the same person, so it, it's Simon. And we learn that he is a, a Pharisee. Um, he is a, a religious leader, and, and you know, we, we talk about the Pharisees a lot in Scripture because they pop up a lot in the Gospels. And for us, it's become almost a negative con- connotation, but for most people probably at this time in the first century, it'd probably overall be pretty positive. These are the people who are really dedicated to following the, the law and are you know, influential in society. Uh, but then we also learn that this man, this Pharisee, was probably wealthy. Uh, he has this feast that's taking place at his home, and so he was able somehow to, to afford that, to have the space for it. And then I think that he is also intrigued with Jesus in some way. And look at that just at the very beginning of our passage, verse 36. It says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Um, so this Pharisee, Simon, is, is inviting Jesus over. And there, there are other people there. Uh, they're reclining at table, which, you know, that's a fr- strange phrase for us. But they would actually lay down almost like wheels on a wagon <laughs> out um, and then eat together. Um, and we don't know exactly why he invited Jesus. Um, but we can speculate a little bit. He was probably hearing rumors about Jesus, that, that Jesus had been healing, he had been teaching, he had been casting out demons, and that some people had been saying, this is the Messiah. Other people had been saying, this guy is a false teacher, you shouldn't listen to him. And so I think that, that he probably just wanted to see and, and judge for himself, figure out who this Jesus is, what he is all about. But as we think about this this theme of of forgiveness in our text, it, it doesn't seem that he's inviting Jesus to his home out of a sense of, of need for Jesus, um, out of a sense of his own sin, of his own, own brokenness. And I think really at best, he's sort of intrigued and fascinated and probably uh, at worst, he's hostile and is trying to size up Jesus and actually figure out who he is and, and what he's about. But he, he didn't want Jesus to come as, as a savior to, to change his life or to challenge him or to transform him, but almost more of just a peer. Like, here, we'll put Jesus at the table and we're going to just have this nice, stimulating conversation about theology. And as we, we think about it today, I think that that's really the difference between what you could call you know, true Christianity and, and cultural Christianity. You know, cultural Christianity is just the, the Christianity that, that maybe permeates society to some extent, uh, maybe less so now, um, but, but isn't necessarily concerned with you know, authentic faith in Jesus. And, and this kind of cultural Christianity, it doesn't mind having Jesus at the table in, in a sense. Um, it doesn't mind having him there as a, as a peer for a conversation partner. It doesn't necessarily mind if you, if you pray or you have, talk about Jesus at the schools or if you pray in Jesus' name at the end of your meal after you pray when you eat. Um, and it doesn't even really mind if you maybe try to 
use Jesus in some way to support whatever your social, political view is of, hey, you should support this program because really Jesus would because he's compassionate or Jesus would support my view and so we can get him on the side of whatever we think is, is right. But really what we're doing is still holding Jesus at, at arm's length. We're not maybe, we're, we seem like this Pharisee, we're, we're inviting him over. We want him there. We want him at our table, but we're not really seeking him um, as, as Lord out of this, this deep sense of, of need. But yet, this, this kind of, of cultural Christianity is, is not comfortable with a Jesus who is really like the Jesus of the, of the scriptures, right? It's not comfortable with somebody who's going to, to actually make a real difference. But this is not what we see from the, the woman who enters in as well. That, that rather than being a picture of this kind of cultural Christianity, she is a picture of authentic faith because she recognizes her, her deep need for Christ. So, so who is this, this woman? You know, we learn about the Pharisee. Who is this woman who shows up? Well, Luke tells us that she is a woman of the city who was a sinner. And then Simon the Pharisee, later on in verse 39, identifies her as a sinner. That's how, what he, he knows of her. Uh, and, and it appears then that the accusation isn't completely unjust. It's not that they're just making up things about her. Because then even Jesus, when he's talking about her later, says that her sins are many. And then at the end he says, your sins have been forgiven. So there still is actually this acknowledgement that, yes, this, this woman had, was a sinner. She was known for sin. And we don't know exactly what kind of sin or in what way she was notorious. And this was actually really surprising to me when I started studying this passage because I'd, I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage and I've heard you know, extended points in the sermons about the fact that she was a prostitute and she was coming to Jesus and therefore like her bringing down her hair and kissing his feet would have all of these connotations. Um, and and that could definitely be the case. She definitely could have been a prostitute, but it doesn't necessarily say. It just says that she was a sinner. She was known as a sinner. It could have been adultery. It could have been like the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who had multiple husbands. Uh, but it could be something else. I mean, she could have been known for, as, a, as a thief or as a, a liar, or maybe she was married to somebody like a tax collector and, and so there are, there are a lot of reasons that she could have been considered a, a sinner in that society. But really, though, the, the Bible tells us that it's, it's not just this woman. That, that, that's actually what all of us are. That The Bible says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. It says that, that all of us were, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And so in a, in a real way then, you know, the, the, the Pharisee is a sinner too. Uh, this woman is a, a sinner. They're both in need of the, the grace of God. They're both in need of forgiveness. But the, the really big difference is the way that they begin to, to respond to Jesus, that the, the Pharisee really fails to see his need for forgiveness, even though it's there. And so he approaches Jesus with this, this air of, of self-righteousness and, and confidence in himself. But then the woman 
discovers this, this forgiveness as she comes in, in humility, aware of who she is, where she's come from, um, and, and the fact that she had fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that that's really important for us to notice in, in just in our, in our own lives as we think about you know, our, our approach to God. Are, are we going to come like the Pharisee saying, okay, Jesus, we just want you at our, our table as a peer to have a good conversation? Or do we have this sense of, man, I, I see so much in myself um, that, that doesn't line up to God and, and who he is. And, I, and I, I really need God to come in mercy and love and forgiveness to save me and to redeem me. So really that's our, our first point then from this text. It's our need for forgiveness, which is rooted in, in the depth of our, of our sin and alienation from God. But then second, we see here the, the way of forgiveness. Because it, it's one thing to, to, to be able to look at ourselves and say, wow, we, we really need forgiveness from God. Um, but then it's another thing to actually know where to turn for forgiveness. How is it that we actually find forgiveness? And I think that this is where then world religions start to, to part ways and, and give different answers. And, and that, that some will, will give the answer that, well, it's really what you do. You, you go on this pilgrimage or you follow this, this ceremony. You go through this ritual you hang out with these people long enough, and then eventually you'll be able to, to earn and merit forgiveness at the end. But in some ways, it's not so much forgiveness as you have paid off the debt through the, through the sweat of your brow. And that's what most world religions teach. But what does the Bible teach about forgiveness? Well, well if you look here at this, this passage in the before us, that it's interesting that the, the Pharisee, in a way, it's not even that he's thinking that somebody can work off their debt and earn forgiveness, but it almost seems like he doesn't believe in forgiveness at all. He doesn't even believe it's a possibility. Um, that, yeah, he, he had read the Old Testament, and the Old Testament talks a lot about God being a forgiving God, but somehow his academic theology that he was reading in, in the Bible didn't line up to the way that he was actually living and thinking about his life because we this this woman comes and you know barges into the, this meal that's taking place and at first then which you know, it's confusing for us even to picture what it what it looks like because wait how how did she get into it because when we throw a, a party at our house usually we'll invite a few friends they come over our doors closed or locked and it would be really shocking for somebody just to suddenly you know barge in and start anointing the feet of our guests um, but uh, at, at that time, it was, it was more common for, especially somebody like this Pharisee, to have a, a meal at his home that was a little bit more like we would think of as a, a block party. It, it was you know, this, this open view of hospitality where people are coming and going. Uh, it, it very likely could have taken place in some sort of an open courtyard or some way that people would be able to have access in and out. So it's not all, altogether surprising that this woman would be able to, to find her way in. But her response to Jesus is really surprising. Um, the way she just pours herself out at it. I mean, and, you know, maybe she thought, it says that she heard Jesus was in the house, and so maybe she thought, you know, I'm going to go to Jesus, and 
but but then she she comes in and she didn't want to cry she didn't want to totally break down but that's just the the response that comes that she's just overwhelmed by by being in the presence of Jesus she begins to cry she sees oh i'm getting tears on his feet so that she, she's doesn't know what to do so she begins to to wipe his feet with her hair and as you know as this is is happening um everybody's looking on i'm sure that all of the conversation stopped and and it's tough to know how scandalous this would have been uh, some of the commentaries i read said you know this would have been you know absolutely unthinkable that you know for a woman to let her hair down to come into this kind of setting probably majority men to kiss his feet like that it would be unthinkable um, a few other commentaries say well maybe not so much maybe it would be a little bit more culturally uh, normal in certain ways but i think that no matter what we can kind of agree that that it was not the way that a, a civilized person <laughs> would act in this kind of situation that that it would have been embarrassing probably to her embarrassing to the people who were who were looking on and so in light of that in light of what this pharisee is seeing look at how he responds in verse 39 it says now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so essentially what he's saying to himself here is, you know, hey, I, I came into this with an open mind uh, that maybe this guy is, is a true prophet, but this is not how a true prophet would respond because he, he doesn't know who and what sort of woman this is. He doesn't know... And, you know, a prophet should know things. And so he, he should know that the, who this woman is. And, and that also a prophet should be someone who is very uh, keenly aware of the reality of, of sin. And that isn't the job of the prophet to expose sin, to call out sin. And so why isn't he calling out her sin, exposing who she is? And I, and I think that his assumption of forgiveness is really that it's not on the table here that this woman should is basically unforgivable, should be rejected, should be sent away, should be scorned. And I think that sometimes Christians can also have this view of people around us. And, you know, it's a really interesting test of our own experience of forgiveness to see how we respond to, to people around us. I mean, how do we respond to people who maybe would, the scriptures would view as, as sinful, as as outside of what we would feel comfortable with that i mean we yeah we read the bible we say yeah we should we should extend grace we should offer forgiveness but but really when push comes to shove what we want to do is is just have angry posts on our our facebook page and we want to just you know tell people off or send them away or want we want nothing to do with with people and this is just you know something when we do that series on hospitality in August, you know, we're going to talk about of, you know, who, what kind of people are we willing to have come into our home and actually come to our table? And do we actually want the people that, that we think shouldn't be there to just kind of go away? Or do we actually want people to come to experience grace and, and forgiveness? Because what we see in Jesus here is, is very different from what our response could have been what this Pharisee's response could have been. And look at what Jesus says in verse 48. 
And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so, so you can see that at the very end there, Jesus says, you know, your, your faith has, has saved you. He doesn't say your, your love has saved you. He doesn't say that all of your, your good deeds have saved you. He doesn't say that your, your sacrifice of that expensive ointment has saved you. He doesn't say that even the, the act of, of coming and, and crying and wiping his feet has saved her. But he says, you know, simply, your faith has saved you. And, and, and before that, he declares to her, your, your sins have been forgiven. And this is really in, in theological circles what they, what they call the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You know, this is the idea that, that we're saved not by what we do, but by, by repenting, by trusting in, in Jesus, by putting our, our faith in him. And that simple idea that your, your faith has saved you. It was what the, the famous John 3.16 that probably most of you know, that God so loved the world, um, that he sent his son, that whoever should believe, whoever should put faith in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the refrain throughout the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels, Jesus says over and over and over again, your faith has saved you, your faith has made you well. That, that is this response to, to faith and trust in Jesus. And you know, this is what we see in the Apostle Paul, that, that, that he says we're, we're not justified, we're not counted righteous in the sight of God through works of the law, through good deeds, but through faith in Christ alone. And so today, if, you know, if, if you're beginning to see, hey, I need forgiveness, I have a debt to God, um, then the answer is not to, to just try harder. The answer is not to lose hope and fall into despair. But really the, the answer is to, to look at Jesus and, and to trust in him, to stop trusting in ourselves. And so we've seen then our, our need for forgiveness, which is from our sin. We've seen the way of forgiveness, which is through faith in Christ. And then finally, let's look at our response to forgiveness. Look at verse 40. Um, Jesus answering said to Simon the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, and I, I really love that response. Simon, can I tell you something? And, you know, generally, if somebody comes to you and says, do you mind if I tell you something? <laughs> uh, or or uh, can I give you some advice? Uh, generally, that's when you kind of run the other way because you know they're going to say something hard. But then the, the Pharisee uh, says, say it, teacher. You know, and, and he calls him teacher that he's still giving this outward deference and respect to Jesus but we know already that inwardly he's doubting that that may that Jesus is even a prophet at all and you know just as a, as a side note I think it's really interesting that the reason he was doubting that Jesus was a prophet is he said you know a prophet should know that this woman is a sinner and a prophet should expose sin and rebuke people who are in sin and then Jesus here knows exactly what he is thinking um, and in his heart. And then instead of rebuking the woman's sin, he rebukes his sin. And so essentially what he thinks of as a prophet is actually being proved true, but it's being directed towards him, which is absolutely not 
what he expected. And Jesus re- rebuked him through this story, through the, this parable. And look at the, the parable in verse 41. It says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the large the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And so in the story you see that it talks about denarii, and that was about a day's wage for an ordinary laborer. And so you do that little bit of the math in your head that if somebody owes 500 denarii, it would take 500 days to pay it off if 100% of your salary was going to the debt and you work seven days a week, 365 days a year. So it would take, doing that would take you about a year and a half to pay off. And, of course, very few people could put that much toward the debt, so it would take much longer to pay it off. And so that's how much the one person owes. The other owes only 50 uh, denarii, and that's still a pretty large debt. But then Jesus shows us that even though there's a big difference between the debt that they owe, yet they still have something in common that neither one of them is able to pay off their debts. Jesus says, when they could not pay. And so instead of bringing in the, the repo man to take away everything that they own, the money lender forgives their debt um, freely. Um, it, it's this, this gracious, complete forgiveness. And then flowing out of this, Jesus ends it by just posing a question to, to Simon. He says, you know, that, that who's going to love the money lender more? Is it the person who is forgiven more or the person who is forgiven less? And, and I'm not sure if Simon was beginning to get where it was going, but he gives kind of the very simple answer of, yeah, the one who is forgiven more will, will love the, the money lender more. But as soon as he answers in that way, um, you know, Jesus is then able to, to put the focus back on to Simon and, and it begins his, his rebuke, this, this, this sermon and he, he says in, in verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. And you, know, you try to visualize that. He says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So you get this image of him. He's been talking to, to Simon, but then suddenly he looks down at her and he was saying, do you see this woman? And clearly he had been seeing her, but he's saying, you know, do you really see her for who she is? And he says, I, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And so, as you, you look at this, I mean, Jesus is giving this, this picture of first century Jewish hospitality. And you know, our friend Dan is staying with us, um, and I was joking to him that, you know, from studying this passage, that, that I, if I was really being polite when he came in, I should have greeted him with a kiss, uh, give, given him water and washed his feet, and then poured oil on his head. Um, and I don't know if he would have appreciated that, probably would have been slightly weirded out. Um, but that would have been polite in Jewish society. You know, you're, you're washing their feet because they've been in the, the, the dust of 
the Judean countryside and, and you, you anoint their head because it's dry and it, it's, it's hot and, and you know, it's a culture that also greeted with a kiss in the way that we tend not to um, today. But Jesus is saying that, that Simon failed to even show this kind of basic hospitality to Jesus. And Jesus isn't just kind of upset that because he, he didn't follow protocols. You know, it's not the, I didn't get my peanuts on the airplane kind of a thing. But, but what he's, he's really concerned with is just trying to get Simon to reflect on his own heart. Why did he respond in this cold way to Jesus when this, this woman is just pouring herself out in, in love and adoration of Christ? And as you begin to think through the, the logic of the parable, it, it becomes really clear that what Jesus is saying is that his coldness is a response to something before, that he hadn't seen his sin, he hadn't seen his need for forgiveness, and he actually hadn't experienced forgiveness. And therefore, there's no response of, of love and adoration for Jesus. But yet the woman had experienced this forgiveness of, of her sins. And so what, what then flows out is, is, is love and affection for Jesus. And you, you can see this actually even in verse 48. And you can't really see it in, in English, but in, in the original Greek when he says, your sins are forgiven, um, it's in the, the Greek perfect tense, which is, uh, is saying it's a past action that has ramifications for what's going on in the present. So it's saying her sins have been forgiven. And, and we see this being worked out because of her response of, of love and affection. And so, you know, that's maybe even different than we think when we first read it, that, that she's coming to Jesus as one who has already been forgiven. And that, that's the logic of the, of the parable, somebody who's, who's coming as a response to the love and the mercy of, of God for her. And that really teaches us just the basic logic of Christianity. That's the central logic of the gospel, that the, our, our love, our worship, the, the things that we do for God are not done in order to, to merit forgiveness on the other side, but we receive forgiveness as a gift, and then we respond in, in love and obedience and affection for Christ. And, you know, sometimes people will tell me, well, I, I don't really need to go to church because I don't need to, God to, to, to pardon my sins or to earn his favor. But really, you know, that, that's, that's missing kind of the response, that, that, that we, we, we don't go to church as a good deed to try to have God then forgive us on the other side. But we come as those who have received forgiveness through faith and then respond and worship and love for Jesus, uh, like this, this woman does here. And so as you think about your life, then you say, well, what would it look like for us here to respond in, in love for Jesus out of the, the fullness of forgiveness? And look at how the, the woman responds, that, that she takes um, time out of her life to approach Christ. She isn't afraid of what other people think or being made fun of or, or being thought ill of. Uh, she is willing to, to sacrifice this expensive ointment um, because Jesus is of infinite value. And so her love is costly, brave, bold, focused completely and utterly on the person of Christ. That that's the kind of love that comes out. 
You know, as I, again, reflecting in my own heart, studying this passage, that I'm not a, a particularly emotional person, <laughs> for better or for worse. I, you know, I'm fairly even kill. I didn't, I tend not to, you know, some people, you know, cry in their sermons a lot. I don't tend to be that kind of a person. But so what does it look like, you know, for, for any of us, for me, to respond with this love and affection for Jesus from the fullness of being forgiven? And, and I think that there's a lot that I can learn from this, this woman of, you know, taking time to, to approach Christ in love, of not being afraid of what other people think, being willing to, to sacrifice what the world sees as value, anything to, to come before Jesus because of what he has, has done for me. And that, that's, that's true for, for all of us. But I think then, as, as you think about it, you say, well, I, I, don't, I know I don't love Jesus enough. And I don't love Jesus enough. You don't love Jesus enough. None of us has the really appropriate response to the fullness of the forgiveness that we have received. So, so how do we begin to, to love more, to respond more appropriately to the forgiveness, or even maybe discover this, that love and affection for Christ for the first time? And I think that it, it's really tied back to all the things that we've been talking about, you know, to our view of sin. And, and we don't think about that, that having a biblical view of the depth of our sin and brokenness, actually it doesn't drive us to despair or to self-hatred, but it actually drives us to see how much, in light of that, God has done for us in pardoning us and forgiving us in Christ and makes us want to, to love and worship and serve him even more. And so as we reflect on, on his, his work and go over and over again to, to, the, to the gospel, what begins to flow up is, is love and obedience and, and response. And so what, what we have here in the, this meal is one of the, the pictures for us of, of Christ and, and what he has done. You know, we said that we need to see our, our need for forgiveness, and we see here our, our need for forgiveness, that, that the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that's why Jesus went to the cross. He bled for us. His body was, was broken for us. He, he did it out of, out of love. And then we said that, you know, the way of forgiveness. How do we, we, we take hold of it? And, and this meal as well is not something that we do to earn God's favor. It's not a sacrifice that we offer to God. Uh, but, but we, uh, trusting in Jesus, know his love, respond in, in obedience, come forward looking at those around us. And I think that, that for, for all of us as we take this today, that, that really the prayer of our, of our heart should be, Lord, help me to, to be more like the sinful woman who approaches Jesus. Let me pour out my life more to you. Uh, let me love you more. Let me serve you more. Let, let everything that I'm doing, whether it's you know, sh sharing the gospel with others, serving a neighbor, uh, reading my Bible, praying, let everything in my life flow from this keen awareness of, of the fact that I was lost, yet Christ loved me and, and saved me.